Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sunbelt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eight wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sunbelt these days. For another edition of Fun Belt Podcast, I am Dusty Thibodeau of Warhawk Report. Joining me is Ben Moore from Panther Talk. Ben, it wasn't a good week for our teams collectively, but man, it was a beautiful week for Sun Belt football. Some great games there. Tell me, tell me what happened with the with the Panthers. Yeah, they got run over uh, by App State. It was uh, close for about a half, uh, fourteen to nine. Um, not the most aesthetically pleasing uh, football game there downtown Atlanta on Saturday afternoon. Uh, then kind of App State do, did what they do, right? They, uh, you know, capitalized on mistakes, don't make mistakes of their own, um, and, and uh, just ran away from the Panthers, uh, you know, pretty good. And uh, I think there was uh, one of those scenarios, too. Uh, I think in, in, in any game of football, high school, college, pro, whatever, uh, if you turn the ball over repeatedly, uh, you're destined to get beaten pretty well. And that's uh, certainly what happened to the Panthers, and they'll be licking their wounds and uh, before a trip. Out to uh, to your alma mater uh, this Saturday, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, no people's no problem. Uh, they still had the the good running game there. Chase Bryce kind of picked it up though with the with the aerial attack. 
326, three touchdowns. Georgia State, three of 15 on third down conversions. But I got you beat. I got you beat. 13 for 13, Grayson McCall for 212 and two touchdowns. And he didn't even play the second half. Apparently he got hurt, and I missed that whole discussion that he was out due to injury. I thought they were just, you know, giving us the mercy rule after they had already covered by the end of the second quarter. But no. The guy, though, that I did come away impressed with from that Coastal Carolina game, Isaiah Likely, the the tight end, slot receiver, five receptions, 95 yards, two touchdowns. That dude can play all around. He's not just a tight end. He's not just a receiver. He's probably going to be our next draft pick out of the conference if Grayson McCall doesn't decide to turn pro at the end of this year. Not speculating that that's the case, but I do think that he has a good chance of being the Sunbelt Conference's next draft pick. In addition to that, Arkansas State went to Georgia Southern. We all thought that that was going to be a train wreck of a game with Georgia Southern having the interim head coach, everything that they have going on down there. But really, Arkansas State competed in that game until there was about a 14-point swing that happened within a two- or three-minute run there. And then the Red Wolves just couldn't ever get back to being even. They were playing from behind the rest of the, the game. Yeah, it was just a blitz, wasn't it? Uh, you know, kind of old uh, old Georgia Southern football too. But a ton of rushing yards. Uh, I believe they put up over five hundred on the ground. Um, and and you know, in, as you mentioned, interim coach Kevin Whitley, the only uh, coach on the staff that had head coaching experience at any level, uh, rallied the guys and and uh, just just took advantage of that Arkansas State defense. I know Jeremy is not here to defend his Red Wolves, but uh, he, he we've talked about it. I mean that that defense has kind of been an issue uh, for a bit, and and obviously a whole lot more work uh, left on the you know on the docket the rest of the way. Giving up fifty nine points and just getting run over on the road is is not what you want to see. And just stupid numbers there by Logan Wright, two hundred eight on ten carries. I mean, that's a first down every time you're even looking at the ball. Uh, hard to duplicate that, but I, I would definitely love to see what he can do this upcoming week. Troy went to South Carolina as well. Actually a pretty good show in there for the Trojans. They had just two penalties, so they were really playing discipline. They were playing up for that game. I was kind of surprised that they had as good of a showing as they did after going to ULM and losing there. I thought that trip to Monroe was was kind of the, their deathbed, and they were done. But they actually had a pretty good showing. Yeah, really, really, really played well. Um, I think the biggest thing got, that got them ultimately in the end was the turnovers. I mean, you saw that game uh, was close. They they just needed, uh, you know, again, you know, more uh, touchdown drives. Uh, B.J. Smith goes over 100 yards for the Trojans there, uh, but just really couldn't kind of get over that, you know, that, that big couple plays and sustain much uh, there to, to register a huge. Um, you know, huge SEC victory. We talked about it last week. Um, you know, they were only seven-point dogs in the game, so we, we imagined it was going to be close based on a lot of the factors, but uh, South Carolina was able to hold on there and and, uh, and push aside the Trojans. Kind of our first big game of the year was the undefeated team of South Alabama hosting Louisiana Lafayette. I really expected this to be either – almost a 10 nothing shutout, you know, almost all defensive stand or first one to 100 wins because it's all offense. <clears throat> really, the difference, though, came down to special teams. South Alabama missed the PAT, had another blocked, and then the desperation two-point conversion, they just weren't able to convert, lose by two to the Cajuns. 
the most surprising stat to me out of that, though, Levi Lewis just 58 yards passing. Now, they had a great running attack, but 58 yards passing, is that in the quarter? I mean, I had to go and double-check that, but no, that was the final stat number. So really kind of a head-scratcher there on both sides of what's up with these Cajuns and, and what happened to the Jags. Yeah, really shocking stats from Levi Lewis. I mean, nine for 20 uh, out of a, out of a guy who uh, we've seen carve up just about every team in this league. It, you know, it, it definitely uh, was, was head scratching. They found a way to win, certainly. Um, but, you know, what, what was interesting to me is, again, you had we, we talked about it the last few weeks, uh, South Alabama having the defensive game plan to to you know, limit the Cajuns and, and limit that offense and get opportunities. And, and uh, at last, South Alabama's in a close game that they don't find a way to win. So, um, you know, it, it was certainly the game of the night. And, and uh, as you mentioned, some special team blunders there. Of course, uh, you know, our, our uh, fan of the Fun Belt podcast, Jalen Tobert, goes crazy again, uh, speaking about guys that could be drafted. Uh, he, he certainly is a guy that I have circled as well. Some big games this week, but – Really, the next super big game that's in the conference next week, but we got to get a jump on it right now. Louisiana Lafayette, App State, they're going to battle. Joining us to talk about it, the voice of your Raging Cajuns, not Jeremy, since he's not here, by the way. Jay Walker joins us. Welcome in, Jay. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I, uh, you know, I was chuckling. You guys were talking about. Georgia Southern, and I had uh, visited with Brian Maggard, our athletic director, and I said, okay, the lock of the century, Georgia Southern will beat Arkansas State. He said, why do you say that? And I said, because a team plays its best game of the season after they fire their coach. I mean, and this is true. If you go back and look at coaches that get fired midseason, the team always plays well the next game. So he texts me during the game and he said, you were right about Georgia Southern. And I said, you need to fire Billy after the game so we could beat App State. And uh, of course, he, he, got a, he got a kick out of that and, and, and stuff. But um, yeah, I, uh, that was crazy. And you know, the Cajuns game on Saturday, look, Levi did not have a good game. It was his, statistically his worst game as a Cajun. Now, it, there were a couple of monsoons that hit uh, during the course of that game. That might have had a little bit to do with it, but really he just, he, he wasn't all that good. I mean, I don't think the receivers did a very good job in helping him and I don't think he threw it very well. Um, but, you know, in uh, earlier in the week, there was a, a, a press conference at South Alabama and one of their defensive linemen. Now think about this. One of their defensive linemen said, we're not concerned with their running game. Now, the last time somebody said that about the Cajuns was 2004, before Tyrell Fenroy um, got to the university. And they've had a great ground attack ever since. And so the Cajuns came out. They came out running the football. They pounded the rock. Three touchdowns all on the ground. Uh, They had, I think, 220 yards rushing for the game. And I'd said to J.T. Crabtree, the – the South Alabama play, radio play-by-play guy has said, if the Cajuns rush for 200 yards, they're going to win the game. And they did. Now, wasn't pretty. And it all comes down to a guy that I think is one of the better kickers in the league, in Diego Guajardo, missing a field goal right at the end of the game. It is the fourth time under Billy Napier 
that the Cajuns have won a game when the other team has missed a kick at the end of the game. It's happened twice with the Warhawks, as you know, Dusty. Uh, and it's also happened with uh, Chandler State and with App State last year. He missed a field goal with about 20 seconds left that would have sent the game to overtime. So, you know, special teams, everybody talks about offense and defense. Everybody overlooks the kicking game, but sometimes that's the deciding factor. Chris Smith had an 87-yard kickoff return to start the game. He's a special teams player of the week. You, you, you really uh, give me some PTSD there, uh, Jay, when you mentioned Darrell <laughs> Fenroy. Um, I think he's still running in Malone Stadium from uh, whatever year that game was that he just had his way. But one other thing you talked about, joking that, you know, fire Billy Napier so we win next week almost as a guarantee. The, the first question I have for you, how is Billy Napier still in Lafayette knowing he was the coach to hire this offseason and really hasn't done anything to kind of cool his name off? I think – Everybody needs to understand how Billy Napier is wired. All right. Money is not the motivating factor for him. He, his father was a high school football coach forever and a very successful one. He thought he was going to follow in his dad's footsteps. Even before the big raise that he got at the end of last season, he was making more money than he ever thought he'd make in his life. He was making about $850,000. And he even said to me one time, because we were talking about it, and he said, you know, what's the difference between three quarters of a million dollars and $3 million? And I said, well, Billy, it's about 2.25 million. And he said, but, but you understand, we can live off what we're making. So if somebody's gonna get them, it's gonna have to be a school where he believes he can win at a high level. You know, it's not going to be the last place team in the SEC West. That's not going to cut it, all right? It will be a, a where he believes he can win at a very high level, and more importantly, he gets to do it his way without interference. Now, there were two jobs that he probably could have gotten last year. One was the South Carolina job. The other was the Auburn job. They were both ready to hire him. But when they finished asking, asking questions, and then it was his turn to ask questions, he didn't like the answers that he got and pulled his name from consideration on both. So if he's going to go, it's going to be a place where he can win at a high level and that he can do it his way. You think he stays in the state, in the state of Louisiana? I mean, if, if, if LSU came calling in a year or two, is that, is that the job? Well, it depends on how question number two gets answered. You know, LSU is, is, is famous for having, um, you know, very influential boosters being very influential. Now, Scott Woodward, the, the, the new athletic director, I don't know if Billy Napier's the guy he's going to go for, because if you look at, at his track record, he goes for big names and, uh, you know, while Billy, I think, is a very popular name, I don't think that anybody would call it like a big name. And, and Ben, I'm telling you, there are some folks that are LSU supporters that will never, ever, ever, ever say it's okay to go get a coach from UL to go 
and be the head coach at LSU, maybe in any sport. That's that's true. But, you know, in, in you saying that, I immediately think back to ULM's baseball coach, Smoke Laval, was the guy tapped to replace the legendary Skip Bertman. I know that if you look at the records, it was not really a smooth transition or, or a good transition by LSU baseball standards. But I, I think if the situation is right, you could see it happen. But yes, I agree yes. with you that I don't think in football terms you would see the flagship school in their eyes stooping down to one of the, the ULS schools in order to, to get their next coach. Yeah, and I think the difference with Smoke was he was an LSU guy in that he was the top assistant under Skip for many years before going to ULM. And he had great success at ULM. And, um, you know, I was a little bit surprised he didn't have more success uh, over at LSU. But, you know, even even with all of that, you know, we had a baseball coach here that was pretty good. Um, And his name never really seriously came up the two times that LSU had a job opening. So I don't know. Yeah. And and truthfully, even back in the day, I was surprised when, because Robichaud was really a solid baseball coach, even in his days in at McNeese state. And the fact that at the time he had built that program up to where it was, it was a pretty good mid-major program that he was willing to kind of give that up, go the hour and a half down the road to Louisiana Lafayette. I was surprised that move. Don't get me wrong. It was definitely the right move for him to go. So he saw whatever he needed to see, to know that, you know, the foundation was laid, but, but I definitely think that that was kind of a head scratcher on the outside looking in. I think, well, I don't think, I know the reason why he came and at the time, okay, this was 1995. Now look at 1995 through about 2010. Well, actually 2013 when they had the last big conference realignment. The Sun Belt was always a multi-bid league. Sometimes they got as many as four into the NCAA tournament. He won 43 games one year at McNeese, lost in the conference tournament, and he had knew somebody on the selection committee, and they said, don't even bother continuing to practice. And so the Southland was, and for the most part still is, there have been a couple of exceptions. That's a one-bid league. And then he was looking at the Sun Belt where you didn't have to win the conference tournament every year in order to get to the NCAA tournament. He and I, of course, Tony and I turned out to be very, very good friends. And he has, um, he's, he's told the story more than once. Um, and he's told it publicly, but to me privately as well. That's what enticed him to move uh, an hour the other way. And also, it's not like he wasn't familiar with the place. He did, after all, pitch at USL. So shifting gears back from baseball to uh, football there, Jay, we're halfway through the season, which is absolutely crazy to me, and we'll definitely be halfway through the season by the time that y'all face off against the Mountaineers next week. What have we learned about the Cajuns here in the first half of the season? That they're very inconsistent. At times, they've struggled to run the football which has happened, oh, never in the last 17, 18 years. Um, They, um, you know, Levi has been a a tad inconsistent. The offensive line 
has been inconsistent. Uh, the secondary struggled uh, in the, the, the first couple of three games, although they're starting to get it together now. They've just, they just haven't had a game where every part of their team has played well at the same time. And as a result, Cajuns are four and one and the fans are mad. All right. Because they, because they haven't, you know, they've got an eight point win over Georgia Southern, a two point win over South Alabama, a three point win over Nichols. You know, they, they, they're not going and dominating their opponent. Like I think a lot of the fan base believe that they should with those particular opponents. Now, you know, both conference wins came away from home and Ben knows this Statesboro is not an easy place to play at all. And South Alabama now has an on-campus facility that seats 25,000 where you can get student body participation. And even with the monsoon the other night, their student body really, really turned out. So that's going to be a difficult place to play. Um, so, you know, I made the comment, I've never been unhappy with a win. And the reason why I've never been unhappy with a win, and, and Dusty, you'll probably remember this. There was a five-year period from 1997 to 2001 where the Cajuns were 9-45-1. and one. So I'm never going to get upset over a victory. It ain't happening. Every victory that, that I've ever called has been just tremendous. And that includes the two-point win they had over South Alabama. But no, this team this team's been inconsistent. I don't think there's been a performance this year that they've had so far that would be good enough to beat Appalachian State. You know, kind of, kind of evaluate some film there. And uh, both teams – uh, I, I'll be honest that that's the game of the week, certainly next week for me, uh, looking ahead a little bit, um, just having both, you know, both teams on a bye to prepare for that, you know, each coaching staff, uh, loading up. I, I think that's, uh, you know, one that I know we'll be talking about certainly, you know, not only this week, but next week as well. It, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the Cajuns finally, finally, finally got a win, uh, over App State last year after eight consecutive losses. And it, uh, it happened on a very cold night in Boone in December. Um, it's, I think that, um, I think our fan base really has a lot of respect for App State um, because really they've kind of been the gold standard for, you know, for a while now. Um, and they're good again. You know, that I think the thing that's scary about them is, Last year, they were very, very run-oriented. And if you could slow down their running game, you could hurt them because they struggled at times to throw the football. Well, they can still run the football, and now you got a guy who can sling it to, to go along with it. So they're a very scary offensive football team. And App is always pretty good defensively. So it's – you know, I like the Cajun defense. I don't want anybody to get me wrong. I like the Cajun defense a lot. I think the front seven as as good as they've had in years and years and years. But they're really going to get tested Tuesday night with that App State offense because they're good. 
No, no doubt. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't bring you on here and not talk a little hoops. We know uh, practice is underway for uh, Coach Bob Marlin and the Cajuns basketball team as well. I know expectations are always high on that side of the uh, athletic uh, side or the facilities as well. Uh, what are your expectations uh, for Coach Marlin and, and the Cajuns uh, this year and, and the league as a whole? You may remember, uh, I guess it was, what, four years ago when the Cajuns won 27 games and uh, then got a, lot, a couple of people hurt in the conference tournament and wound up falling to UTA. I think this team, talent-wise, is maybe a little better than, than that team was. Um, and it's crazy because you lost – Cedric Russell, second all-time in three-point shooting in, in, in uh, Cajun history, who decided to transfer and go to Ohio State for his final year. And then you've got Malik Wilson, who was the second leading scorer on the team, who chose to go out to Texas Tech uh, and play there. And yet, boy, they have brought in some players. Um, they're going to have the biggest team they've ever had, because in addition to Theo Wakuba and Isaiah Richards in the middle. They had Dugay at the power forward last year. Now they've added Jordan Brown, who's a 6'10 kid that was a five-star prospect out of high school, went to Nevada. Coach got a new job, so he went to Arizona. Coach got a new job, so now he's in Lafayette. His father, Dion, is in the UL Hall of Fame. Okay, he played here. Um, they brought in a transfer from Creighton a transfer from St. John's. Um, they, they return uh, a few players uh, from last year. They also have got two guys that they're going to count on a lot who have played very little, although they've been at school for a while. Kobe Julian, you ready for this? Is going to be a fourth-year freshman this year. He redshirted his first year because he uh, hurt his knee in the um, state basketball tournament as a senior. So he didn't play. He comes in, plays the next year, plays eight games, hurts the other knee. And then last year was a COVID year. So he's a fourth year freshman. He's a very, very good player who will start at the small forward. Another kid, Dury Cadwell, was a junior college kid, went to the same junior college as Duguay. Um, it, he's in his third year, and he has yet to take the court for the Cajuns. He's been hurt for two years. They've really been hit by the injury bug about three years in a row. If this team stays healthy, they're definitely one of the favorites in the league. And I am, uh, I'm not going to lie, I really like college basketball. And I'm kind of looking forward uh, to seeing these guys because I, I think they got a chance to be really good. I've not had a chance to look at the, the Cajuns uh, basketball schedule. Who do they have this year in, in non-conference action? Well, like everybody else, the home schedule sucks. Um, but, but if you look around the league, I mean, seriously, go look at the, go look at the basketball schedules that, that you put together and tell me who's got exciting home games this year. The answer is nobody. Okay. So on the road, they're playing Southern Miss for the first time in, gosh, probably 15 years. They always play Louisiana Tech every year. That game this year is in Ruston. They play at Indiana. They play at Marshall. They play at Houston. Now, those are five pretty pretty salty games. Southern Miss is, is 
trying to rebuild their basket. But the other four are, are schools that have had consistent success in basketball. And Houston, of course, was a Final Four team last year. So they've got – they're going to get challenged. Unfortunately, none of the games are at the Cajun Dome. Um, you know, at the Cajun Dome, they're playing three non-D1s. They got Jackson State. They've got uh, McNeese and, and New Orleans. They're like everybody else. They can't get anybody – to come and play at that at their place, and you know Ben's nodding his head. He knows what Georgia State goes through, um, and it's that way for just about all of the teams in this league. Fans hate it. They complain constantly. They blame Bob Marlin for that. Show me somebody in the league who can defeat this business of your non-conference schedule and getting attractive teams to come in and play at your place. It just doesn't exist. What about like the mid majors? Because I know a couple times like ULM's hosted UT Chattanooga or Moorhead State, people like that. Would that kind of excite the fan base, or do you think it's got to be like an LSU or a you know Ole Miss coming to no, town? I, no, I think it's gotten to the point where you, if you get, for instance, a good school out of the Ohio Valley, or if you would get a good school out of the Southern Conference, or you would get even an average school out of the Missouri Valley, I think the fan base would look and say, okay. You know, this is cool. We haven't played these guys in a while, but I'll tell you a story. I'm not going to name the school, but they had a home and home worked out with an Ohio Valley conference team. The contracts had been sent out. They were going to play in the Cajun Dome this year and over at their place next year. And at the last minute, that school decided to add a fourth non-division one team to their home schedule. Have a nice day. So as we shift shift gears back to football again, how do you see this league kind of shaking out this upcoming year? I'm going to be frank. Um, I don't think this league's very good. I think you've got two and a half teams that are really good. You know, I think Coastal Carolina and App State are both very good teams. I think the Cajuns should be right up there with those two. They haven't played like it, but they might go out, play their best game of the year and, and, and win on Tuesday. Man, I don't see anybody else in this league that makes me go, gee, these guys are pretty good. You know, Georgia State's already fired their coach. Troy's coach is on the hot seat. You know, Georgia State's played a good schedule. And I was starting to wonder if maybe they were ready, but they're one and four. Yeah, you, know, you can't get you can't get around that. The second best record in the West is ULM at two and two. So, you know, I'm sorry, South Alabama's won three games, but you know, we know the Warhawks are, are trying to rebuild after a disastrous year last year. Um, we're still waiting for Texas State, pardon my French, to not suck. And we're and and you know, South Alabama, they're they're better. Um, Arkansas State hasn't shown that they can stop anybody from running or throwing. Now, Cajuns have to go to Jonesboro. And Jonesboro in the past is where the Cajuns have gone to die. Um, they did win there two years ago, um, but they've only won, you know, look, this is my 30th season. And they've, I think you can count the Jonesboro wins on one hand and they've been playing just about every year. Um, it's just not an easy place to win if you're the Cajuns and Arkansas state doesn't like the Cajuns. So they're always ready to play. Uh, when, when you go up there, but that, you know, 
doesn't mean the Cajuns can't win. You know, I think Billy Napier's greatest statistic, he has never lost to a Western Division team since he's been there. He's 13 and 0. And, and he is very succinct about the way he approaches it. He'll tell his team, it's a division game, it counts double. And and really it does, okay? Because, you know, if the cage, let's say the cage, regardless of what the Cajuns do this week, you go up to Arkansas State and lose, and now Arkansas State's got to lose one more conference game than you do. You know, somebody else biting them and making it even is not good enough. So that tiebreaker is so very important. And over the years, Dusty, you've been following this league a long time. I know, Ben, you've been a while, here a while too. That tiebreaker comes into play a lot. So the division games are very important. Billy puts a lot of emphasis on them, and he's had great success as a result. It doesn't mean he's going to win in Jonesboro two weeks from now. I mean, it, that is just – it's never been an easy place for the Cajuns. So we wrap up with a bit of a history lesson. I didn't realize you had been around the league for 30 years. That's amazing. Who are some of the greatest players and greatest games that you've seen, not only in Lafayette, but around the league as well? Well, you know, first of all, the league's only 21 years old. So I was around before the league even existed, at, at least in football. Okay. Right. I've been covering the Cajuns ever since they joined the Sun Belt Conference when the American South and Sunbelt merged back in 1992. I've been, I, I've been doing games there ever since. Um, Dante Culpepper played at Cajun Field. He was, he was good. He was good. Randall Cunningham played at Cajun Field. Um, I remember Nelson Stokely, this is before I started doing the Cajuns, Nelson Stokely's first game, in 1986, they played Oklahoma State at Cajun Field. Oklahoma State's quarterback was a guy by the name of Mike Gundy. Their best receiver was a guy by the name of Hartley Dykes. Their number one running back was a guy named Thurman Thomas, and his backup was a guy named Barry Sanders. I don't think well, the Cajuns won that game, did they? Uh, you know, you, let me tell you what happened. They lost on the last play of the game. They were up, they blocked a punt with a couple of minutes left to go up 20 to nine. Only about three minutes left in the game. Oklahoma State returns the ensuing kickoff for a touchdown, makes it 20 to 15. Cajuns go three and out. Oklahoma State's driving downfield. Gundy completes a pass over the middle with just seconds remaining. And a guy, I don't even remember who the player was, but he hit the guy so hard it jarred the ball loose and it was incomplete. If he lets him catch the ball and tackles him, the Cajuns win the game. But the, the clock stopped. They had one more play, and Gundy hit Hartley Dykes on a fade to win the game, 21 to 20. Cajuns also lost to Ole Miss 21 to 19 that year and lost to Tulane 42 to 39. Cajuns had a freshman quarterback that year by the name of Brian Mitchell who turned out to be a pretty good football player. Jay, I could talk with you all day, but I appreciate you taking some time out to talk to us here on the Fun Belt Cup podcast. Looking forward to seeing you. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm trying to make it over to Lafayette for the Georgia State Cajuns game on a Thursday night coming up here in a couple of weeks. Definitely will be there after Thanksgiving for the good old battle on the Bayou. 
always look forward to catching up with you. Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, I think podcasts are great. I, I mean, I really do. Because you can sit and talk. You don't have to take commercial breaks. You're not confined to a certain period of time. And, and you can just visit. I think podcasts are a great invention. I've started doing them myself. And I'm looking for great stories in the Cajun Athletic Department and doing, um, doing stories on them. I just finished doing a story on Dugay, the Cajun basketball player, who um, who's lived in four countries and speaks five languages and has never had a bad day in his life. Um, I've got one coming up with a soccer player who uh, who is from Haiti and has her country, of course, is two earthquakes, two earthquakes, uh, three hurricanes and an assassination of a president uh, and her, all in her lifetime. Looking forward to talking to her. Podcasts are wonderful, but I appreciate you guys a whole lot having me on. So we're halfway through the season, Ben. Uh, this upcoming week. Sunbelt action gets started on Thursday night. Coastal Carolina goes to Jonesboro. As Jay said, that's the place where teams seem to go to die. I know I couldn't tell you last time I've seen ULM win there or any team that I really kind of had that rooting interest for go there and actually get the victory. What's your, what's your take on this ESPNU game? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the interesting part to me, right? Uh, you know, Coastal looks like a buzzsaw right now. Arkansas State is is uh, more than happy to give them the yards and the points from what it looks like. Um, it, it looks like a blowout on paper. Uh, crazier things have happened, as you mentioned, there in Jonesboro. So, um, you know, there. Uh, I, I don't know the status of Grayson McCall, as you mentioned. He may got banged up there in in, uh, in the game against the Warhawks. Uh, so, do we see you know Jamie Chadwell and the coaching staff take a little bit off the gas potentially? Uh, do they try to, you know, run the ball a little bit more? Um, as we've seen, you know, obviously last week, Arkansas State just got ran uh, by the Georgia Southern offense. So that may be a part of the game plan there. And uh, but uh, but there's a there's a bit of it, at least from my view, from the outside. Um, they're trying to put a number up, trying to you know get a higher ranking and make these games, you know, at least on paper for those national writers that aren't going to be watching the Sun Belt quite candidly uh, to try to put a number up there and say, hey, look, you know, we're, we're obliterating the league. We need, you know, a, a vote or two to continue to rise in the AP and the coaches poll. So we, we know uh, certainly the, the college football playoff rankings are coming up very shortly. And then they're going to try to get, um, you know, jump in that conversation. Uh, they could do it again, obviously, on Thursday night. Yeah, and, and they're averaging 48 points a game. I mean, it's just blowout after blowout. It's really boring football to watch right now of Coastal Carolina. I mean, I guess if you're a Shantz fan, it's fantastic. But – at the end of the day, they are at the mercy, honestly, of Cincinnati and what Cincinnati does. They're not going to leapfrog Cincinnati because Cincinnati has the upper leg on them. We talk about different teams playing from behind. Coastal's definitely doing that. So the only thing they can really do is control their own fate, keep winning games. Um, does it have to be a blowout? Not necessarily. They just got to keep putting up dubs. Um, and I, I think that they will this week against Arkansas State. Wouldn't surprise me with the curse of Jonesboro coming in and biting them. But uh, definitely for the, the good of the league, we want to see the shots keep rolling on. Yeah, the big, biggest stat and the one that uh, you know, I'll share real quickly, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically their first uh, you know, few opponents are 5-14 combined 
you're talking about Cincinnati specifically playing Indiana, playing Notre Dame, going and winning those road victories. That turns a whole lot more heads, uh, you know, than, than going on the road in the Sun Belt, as we well know. So uh, they're going to have to continue to win impressively and, and uh, interested to see if the, the Red Wolves have any changes at all or, or if uh, Coach Butch Jones and that crew just gets, uh, gets obliterated again. A couple of intriguing matchups there. Georgia Southern goes to Troy. I'm interested more so to see if the Eagles are still rolling with their interim head coach, or is this the game that we were expecting last week that they, they kind of have the woe is me. We lost our coach. We're not any good. Is, is this the week that we see it? And then the other game is South Alabama going to Texas state. Texas state eventually has to have things click for them. I mean, they have too much talent. Spavadol said on the weekly press conference that they got about 14, 15 players back. So depth is not really going to be an issue, maybe conditioning, but they should have the majority of their roster back and intact to kind of see now what does this Texas State team look like? Yeah, I I, I honestly think both games are coin flips. And, and, you know, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you get the – you know, new coach, you know, the fired coach bump, you know, guys rallying around that, um, that does eventually wear off. You know, you, you have have uh, not only some film there and there may have been some, you know, in-game adjustments there with Coach Whitley uh, with the Eagles there. Um, I, I think Troy's also looking for, you know, uh, some statement wins at this point as well. Uh, we, we uh, you know, Chip Lindsay is kind of on the hot seat if you talk to a lot of Trojan fans too because there's been expectations of that program uh, really since he arrived, but uh, this is now year three. Um, you know, I think it's an important game for them, and I'm, I'm interested as well to bounce back from, from uh, Kane Womack and, and that South Alabama squad. You know, we know uh, playing in San Marcos is not always the easiest destination either. So, uh, you know, they to me, both of them, at least on paper, are coin flips, and they should be uh, very good games on both sides. Our battle, Ben, I guess we're supposed to be like fighting, fighting each other literally. The Panthers come to good old Funroe. I take your advice and never bet on the Panthers, so I'm I'm picking ULM on that aspect, and I've been burned on your advice of, you know, the Panthers are great. They're going to do it. So I'm picking ULM. If nothing else, just listening to you. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's an interesting battle. Uh, probably two of the least potent offenses in, in the Sun Belt so far this season. Uh, there is these abounding – uh, specifically at the quarterback position uh, and, and turning the ball over. You know, that's been, you know, the issue and really the boogeyman all season for the Panthers that cannot seem to hold on to the football. Uh, last year they were top 10 in sacks. Uh, that hasn't happened, uh, you know, to, to, to this point through five games. They haven't been able to generate turnovers. They were top five in the nation last season as well in generating uh, interceptions and fumbles. And Coach Elliott talked about that and how important that is. Uh, but, I, but I think – uh, the interesting part about it is fans in Atlanta right now uh, are looking for a you know a definitive decision on the quarterback position. Uh, everyone you know assumes uh, you know that Cornelius Quad Brown was going to take a next step here in his sophomore season. He just simply hasn't. Uh, Dan- Darren Granger, who had the game um, you know to keep the Panthers in against Auburn on the road there, um, you know what even more impressive. Obviously Auburn taking care of business at LSU. So you look and say, all right, do you give Granger another opportunity? Coach Elliott said he's going to base his decision this week and really roll with that guy for probably the rest of the season, unless there's an injury. So, um, you know, it could be a, a very, very run heavy 
uh, situation there in Monroe, very similar to two weeks ago when they uh, hosted the Charlotte 49ers where they cranked out 45 rushing attempts. So uh, it, it could be that kind of game and, uh, you know, could could be over, uh, you know, by 9.30, 9.45 there Central Time. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it, though. Uh, you know, it gives me good bragging rights against you, if nothing else. Or um, I know that I, I will be sick next Tuesday and, and not have to hear you gloat about your royal blue. So either way, you know, I, I, I'm involved in that. So looking forward to it. I, I mean, every week I, I love looking at it. Um, sometimes you kind of grit your teeth going, oh, geez, how are, how are we going to lose this one? How are we going to win that one? But it's all, all in fun and games. So with that, we, no we go to our parting shots there, Ben. Uh, what do you have for your plugs, promos, and parting shots? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, folks are, folks are excited. Uh, as we talked to Jay a little bit earlier, basketball season is almost here. Uh, we had a chance to talk to Coach Rob Lanier. He gave a 40-minute uh, opening press conference to talk about practice, uh, which is great. Uh, enjoy talking to Coach Lanier and the Panthers. Uh, I, I agree with Jay. I think it's going to be Louisiana and Georgia State respectively, uh, those two teams in, in basketball. So we're talking a little basketball recruiting. A signing day is coming upon us. Uh, always talking football and football recruiting as well. And we'll talk about and preview the game there in fun row. Uh, excited to see that. And there has been some uh, folks that have exited the roster as well. So there's no more bacon on the, on the Georgia State roster. So uh, I love that, that happened last night. I, I, I'm the same way. You know, it, it, He's choosing greener pastures uh, as, as a guy has already graduated. So uh, it's interesting. You know, this is now, you know, as I mentioned last week, you get week, week four, week five, guys start looking around and going, hey, if I can potentially maintain that redshirt status, I'll move along. And uh, now just seeing uh, some different faces in different places. So uh, it's exciting to see. And, and uh, as you mentioned, we were staring at the halfway point of the season. Um, you know, is, what, is the bowl picture, does the championship picture start to come uh, a little bit closer and, and uh, it'll be a light schedule as we talked about, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll have it all breaking down. Yeah. My parting shot is uh, nothing. Actually. I'm, I'm actually pretty content and good. Uh, all is right. Uh, it's a great time of the year where you have the hype of college basketball. You're in the, the middle of college uh, football Major League Baseball's cranking up. NBA's about to crank up. NHL's about to – I mean, it, what is there to complain about right now? I mean, give us a couple more weeks when our teams start losing, and then we'll bitch like there's no tomorrow. But until then, we're good. <laughs> Other than that, guys, we're trying to crank out some more basketball previews. Last night we had Scott Cross on, so you can check that out, episode 15. Working on getting some other basketball coaches from around the Sunbelt Conference as we get ready to preview the season. Next week, Ben, huge show. Huge. We're at the midway point officially next week of college football. You've seen on Twitter where we have joined forces with the group of five guys. We're going to be on their show. They're going to be on our show as we break down the G5 and in particular the Sun Belt with those guys. So it's going to be mass chaos. A great episode as always and looking forward to it. Absolutely. The energy of that may, uh, may, may ride us all the way to Halloween. Can't wait. And maybe Jeremy will join us again. <laughs> Stop boycotting the show, Jeremy. We love you, buddy. Yeah. Guys, thanks so much and look forward to talking to you all next week. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.